Welcome to Backstory and Beyond with your host, Ward Camp, seeker, innovator, and president of Northwood Retail. As Ward travels the country, he'll share the industry insights he's gained over a three decades long retail career, introduce you to trailblazing business leaders and disruptive founders, and uncover the real deal about some of the greatest cities in the world. This week, Ward is in Austin with Nina Baronado, founder of Nina Baronado Jewelry and creator of the viral TikTok sensation, Permanent Bracelets. They'll discuss the importance of failure for any entrepreneur, how Nina has built a roster of celebrity clientele, and the hidden gems of one of America's fastest growing cities. All that and more on this episode of Backstory and Beyond. Just wanna welcome everybody today we have a special guest, Nina Baronado. She's actually a tenant of ours at Domain Northside in Austin. I want to welcome you, Nina. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I like to get involved or, or speak with founder businesses. I still think small business founder businesses are the best built businesses out there. But kind of walking back to the beginning, you end up in Brooklyn with Elizabeth Knight. You developed this incredible artesian passion. So from there, I'll just let you kind of tell the story. Yeah. Meeting Elizabeth in New York was a huge like happenstance situation where, you know, she just happened to be looking for an apprentice at the time and we just kind of crossed paths and I signed on to work for her for a year unpaid, just kind of learning from her. And pretty quickly, she decided to offer to pay me as her assistant way sooner than I was anticipating it. So I got this job in the industry in this perfect environment because she owned this community jewelry studio. And in the studio, there were all these different people doing different styles of metalsmithing. So not only did I get to learn from her, but I also got to learn from all of these other people that were there. And I worked under her for five years in New York and kind of got to see every single aspect of her business and how she ran it and how she would sell to other retailers. And that's really what I did at first is I sold mostly wholesale. And then after about, you know, four or five years of working with her and having my own little jewelry line that I was selling to a couple boutiques and then to some larger retailers like Free People and Anthro, there's actually something in New York. I mean, I'm sure there's one in every single city, actually, but it's the Small Business Association of New York. And you can go there and they'll help you, like, figure out how to do your taxes when you don't know anything about that or just advise you. And it's all of these people that have a background in whatever business you're in. And so I had a mentor there that was basically like, you know, you're selling a lot of jewelry to Urban Outfitters and free people. And, like, there's a lot of need for it and want for it, but you're only selling it at wholesale. So you're selling it at 50% discount. You should go direct to customer and get, you know, all the money. And they were basically like, you can do online, you can do in person. And I was never a very technical, savvy person. So I was like, in person. Immediately, I was like, no, I'm a, I'm a one-on-one people person. I want to open up a store. And so I basically just took a big survey of the United States and I did the fastest growing cities with the fewest jewelry stores. And that's how I landed on Austin. It was really booming and there were just a few major players in the market. And so I just packed up all my stuff. I had never been to Texas and I moved here from New York. And first thing I ever did was I had a kiosk in the mall, in Barton Creek Square Mall, because I didn't know any of the areas. And I was like, the only thing I know is that people will be in the mall during Christmas time. Right. So I had a three-month little stint there with this kiosk, and 
it did well enough that I was like, Austin is the right place. And I had kind of noticed the food truck culture around Austin, and I decided to renovate a 1959 Airstream Bambi and make it into a jewelry store. And that was my next thing. So then I had this Airstream store, and I parked it next to one of the most like popular food trailer lots, and it just boomed from there. People would come get food, shop the jewelry. Women would come in and they would grab something and then they would come like a week later with five friends. And um, it just really took off. And then from there, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to actually have an actual store, a real store. And that's when I landed at the domain in Northside. And I've been there now for five years, maybe more. So now we have a full-blown store. It's amazing. It's changing all the time. You know, when we built it, we really didn't have much. So it was a very DIY all of the furniture and all the things that we have in the store, we put it together ourselves. The shelves are all nailed in. You know, some of them are a little off. And the DIY nature of the store and the fact that my studio and where I make and create everything is in the store, it really spoke to the people of Austin that it was just different, you know? Being able to have this feeling that these girls did put this thing together themselves, you feel it immediately when you walk into the store. Yeah, people just really really got attached to that. And and that just really helped us grow over all the years that we've been in that store location. This is for the young. Listen to Nina, because you put the effort in, which I think is incredible. And I think we need more of that. But you were given a shot. You made the best of it. I understand, you know, when you had the trailer at first, your brand was not your name. It was mm-hmm. under another name. Yes. So I started the business under the name Psyche Jewelry. Most of my collections are all inspired by like Greek goddesses or mythological folkloric characters, some type of like a strong female archetype. And Psyche is my absolute favorite. When I created my line, I was in my early 20s. So this is a love story. This is a very mythological love story. And you know, like at the time, I was a young 20-year-old girl and all I cared about was love, love, love. So that's basically why I chose that to be the basis of my of my line and the name of my line at the beginning. Now I kind of roll my eyes at that. I'm like, oh, you could have picked a better heroine than that one. <laughs> Shouldn't have been about a boy. but It always is. It always is. But yeah, so I didn't think when I started my jewelry stuff that that was going to be my end-all be-all. When I went to University of Missouri, I studied fashion design, and I always thought I was going to do clothing. So I wanted to save my name. My dad always says, like, whenever I had the brand Psyche, he would say, I gave you the best possible name for fashion, Nina Baronado. It doesn't get much better than that. And why aren't you using it? And I'm like, well, I'm going to save it. I'm going to save my name for when I do my clothing line. So it really wasn't until I had had the brand for, you know, six years probably, and it was all under Psyche, and people would always just kind of get confused because they would come in the trailer and they would meet me because I was in there every day. They would be like, Nina, and they'd be like, Nina's jewelry. And they never really called it Psyche. They just always spoke about me. So we went ahead and rebranded it under my name, and of course I was nervous about that because I thought, you know, it's people aren't going to understand it. I'm going to lose people that know about Psyche, but that's not what happened at all. It's, it's actually shockingly easy to rebrand. I, I think that creators, we get so attached to our old identities and things like that, that we feel like when we have to move forward into something that identifies with us better, that we may lose some of the old people. But in my experience, that didn't happen. Well, I think one of the things is you put, once you put your name on it, the identity is revealed, right? You do have to think about when you put your name out there, you own it good, bad, and different. Was that part of the reservation or just? Oh, definitely. Everything that happens under the business, whether I'm 
personally responsible or not, when my name's on it, I'm personally responsible. 100%. So sometimes I have the, these moments where I'm like, ooh, I wish I could go back to being anonymous, man. <laughs> right. Walking back a little bit, the side hustle in New York. Tell us a little bit about that. You were side hustling while you were working with Elizabeth, selling wholesale, bart, like oh, you yeah. were on the streets, man. I used to pass out flyers for a parking garage. I would go there from six in the morning to nine Upper West Side and pass out flyers for this parking garage. And then I waited tables, you know, all of those little um, grind jobs that you do because I wanted to be able to put all this money into my business. At the time, you know, when you're growing something like that, it takes a lot of money. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to order the wrong stuff. You're going to make things incorrectly and then have spent so much money on it and and things like that. So especially when you're doing wholesale with some of these larger retailers, it's the reason why I really don't do it as much anymore. You're fronting all that money up front and you're discounting them a lot just to be able to be in that larger retailer space. I would have to come up with thousands of dollars out of my own pocket to be on the playing field with some of these bigger retailers. And that was hard. It's hard when you're, you know, trying to make your jewelry and you got to come up with 20 grand to make an order. So you're scrambling the streets yeah. in the city. And it's the toughest place, I think, in the world to make it. I think people that are intuitively hard workers, it just comes natural to them. Like hard workers work hard versus the person that tells you, hey, I work 100 hours a week. I think it's just natural and intuitive. Do you believe that? Like, Oh, yeah. I think I'm energized by hard work. The harder the work, the more excited and like the more energy that I feel. Of course, I get tired just like everybody else. I need to sleep just like everybody else. Definitely the older I get, the more I need to sleep. But, you know, when I'm in my 20s, I can just go, 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 you know. And back to my dad being an entrepreneur, I saw him doing that my entire life. It's kind of in our blood, you know. My dad was the same way. He was an entrepreneur. He was known for, in life insurance, these very unique cases. And he got a call, and it was to insure Evil Knievel when he jumped the Snake River. He had been turned down 33 times for life insurance. And my dad was the only guy that could get him life insurance. And by the way, at the Snake River, you know, he didn't make it across. He almost died. And I wouldn't say that it was the most lucrative thing my dad ever did, but it definitely changed his business. Yeah, I mean, you just have to be willing to do things that everybody else isn't willing to do, you know? And 100%. When you get knocked down, you have to be able to take it and keep going, especially at the beginning. You mess up on so many things. I, I always tell people now, I teach people how to price their things correctly, which I learned from a financial advisor. Duh. Like someone in finance is going to tell you how you should really price things, not another artist probably. And a lot of times we learn these things from our mentors who are other artists and they're kind of teaching us some of the wrong ways of operating a business. So it can be a real struggle in those beginning years when you are getting some bad advice and you're following a leader that maybe isn't necessarily where you want to be. They're just the person you have access to. I get really sad when I see other makers when they're having little failures and they just sit in those failures and they just let them take over their entire psyche and take over their confidence in themselves and and things like that. My dad being an entrepreneur, he growing up, he has this thing. Everybody says he has this ultimate confidence and he just radiates like I can do anything. I'm super powerful. I'm super confident. And even when he was failing, you know, he would learn from that and he would create the next thing, which would be even better. And I just kind of saw those ups and downs. And I was just like, this is a part of it. 
And even though I didn't necessarily always see myself as a small business owner as much as I saw myself as an artist or a maker at first, being able to see that there's going to be times that you're going to mess up on something and it's going to be really bad, it's going to be really hard, but that's fine. That's just a part of it, I think was super helpful. So I didn't really let those times really sink all the way in. Like it was like something was chipping at me, but it didn't get all the way in. Well, it sounds like you had a great mentor in your father watching him. So let's, you know, get to the to where things really began to change. 2019, you're asked or commissioned to do a piece for Beyonce, and then it works its way to Janet Jackson, Billie Eilish, Megan. And all of a sudden, you know, you're in a whole different league. How did that change your life and your business? Yeah. So when I w- lived in New York, I always worked with a showroom. And what a showroom is, is basically a space where they hold one of every one sample of everything that you have and stylists can come in and they can pull it for shoots. When I moved to Austin, I basically kind of had separated from the fashion industry or the music world because it's L.A. or New York. Right. And they that is the way that they source jewelry is in person. They go into the showrooms and they pull everything. And with the Beyonce thing, the showroom in New York that I had worked with, the girl that works there, got a call from Beyonce stylist. And she was like, hey, we have these face masks. We need them made for Beyonce. It's a big project, but we need it in two days. Do you know anybody there that can do these in two days? And she was like, not in New York, but there's a girl down in Texas that can do it. And so they're like, give her a call. I'm leaving the store. I'm in the parking lot. I get this call. They're like, hey, we have a project for you. We're going to send you a picture. Can you make these? But we need it in two days shipped back to L.A. So I messaged him back and I'm like, I can do it. I run into the back into the store because my studio is in the store. Right. I run in there. It happens to be that Beyonce is playing on our speaker. <laughs> and this is like such kismet. And I go, guys, you cannot tell anybody about this because we're about to go into the biggest NDA we've ever had to go under. We're going to get to work on a Beyonce video. And they're like screaming. The girls are screaming. And I'm like, okay, okay. You can't tell anybody anything. Everybody act normal. When you walked in the store and Beyonce was on the screen after the call, I mean, you kind of knew something was in motion, right? Right. I mean, we were just like, this is just too many things at once, you know, too much synchronicity. So I make the face pieces. I ship them out to them. And I don't hear anything back. I have the NDA, you know, and everything, but they don't say it's for any any videos or anything. So I see them on the Blackest King video, just like everybody else in real time. And that definitely launched the brand into this more of a global spotlight. And then it's funny because everybody's like, you must have all these ins with all these people. But the pandemic hit. And I started thinking to myself, we need to take the springboard of what happened with Beyonce and try and work with more celebrities and stylists. But all the showrooms are closed. I was thinking like, maybe I should go in a showroom in LA or or New York and have my stuff there, but everybody's closed. So I went on Instagram and I just start stalking all my favorite celebrities and going into their tagged photos and figuring out who their stylist is. And I created this massive list. It's now like 3000 stylists long. And I just start emailing them and DMing them. The Lizzo glasses, for example, I just made those on my own because I was like, I'm gonna make these and I'm gonna pitch them to Lizzo stylist and see if we can get them on her. And I DM'd him a picture of them. And I was like, hey, I have these glasses I made for Lizzo. Let me know if you want them. And he was like, yeah, they're great. Send them over. And so I just started shipping jewelry samples straight out of the Austin location to stylists. And then they would just ship it back. Stylists still want to be creative, but they don't have access to jewelry. So how can I make it easiest for them? I'm going to like email them every single month. And eventually it may 
you may find something that I made that you want to work with. One of the biggest things that we did was the Angelina Jolie lip cuff. And that's with the stylist, Jason Bolden, who I have been emailing for 10 years. I mean, every month. And like, he's never written me back, not a single time. And then Rachel, who works for me, and she like helps with the showroom stuff. One day she's like, hey, we got an email from a stylist. He wants to do a poll, but he needs it in like two days. And I was like, who is it? And she goes, Jason Bolden. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? And I was like, whatever he wants, we can do it. And then I see her wearing the lip cup for her first time out in six years. And then, you know, next thing we know, we're selling thousands of these lip cups. And I would <laughs> imagine when it hits, it's like, Again, it's like a brush fire. You can't make them fast enough. Oh, yeah. We'd never had so many global orders. And then we just, I mean, we were making lip cuffs day and night. <laughs> so let's talk to the the thing that has thrust the business. It's proprietary to you, the permanent bracelet. Yeah. Just genesis and, you know, success and just wow. Yeah. So the permanent bracelet thing, that again was kind of a liftoff after the pandemic. Even though all of my team was working from home, I was still coming into the store every day by myself and I'm um, thinking to myself, the second they open those doors back up, people are going to be out and about and they're going to want to do activities and they're going to want to do experiences. And so this whole thing all came from a customer basically coming in and asking if we could do a bracelet repair with a laser welder. And I was like, yeah, we can. We can totally do that. And then we started thinking like we could well, we can weld these bracelets on like, you know. And kind of develop this marketing and, and business plan with it where the different chains have different personalities. Whatever, whatever you're feeling, you can get this chain that kind of speaks to that. But more importantly, you can come with someone that you love and have this experience where you are just like tied together with something that feels permanent. So, Nita, what's the process behind the welded bracelet? Kind of walk me through the whole process. And then when people want to dispose of it or take it off. Yeah, totally. So we have a little menu. It's cute. It has all the bracelet chains on it and you can kind of decide what's your vibe when you come in and which one you like. And then we weld it with this laser welding pen. Now, people always ask us, what about if I have to have surgery and these have to get cut off me or, you know, I get tired of them. You cut them off with regular scissors, just kitchen scissors. And then we'll offer a service where we just rezap it for you for free. I thought this is we're going to have one little desk here in the corner. If people want to come and have get these bracelets, they can do it. It'll be a little cute thing. But let's just launch it and let's put it on our TikTok. While I was in the store by myself through the pandemic, I challenged myself to do a TikTok every single day because TikTok. Had you ever been on TikTok no, prior to that? No. And TikTok was just something that was just getting in my radar. Like everybody's getting on this platform. It's blowing up. And, and I was just like, you know what? You feel stupid doing this. You're by yourself in the store, but just make them, you know, make TikToks about making jewelry. Make TikToks about what stuff in, is in your store. Our TikTok was growing. I think we probably had, you know, maybe 40,000 followers. People were just interested in watching me make jewelry, and that was cool enough on its own. And then we put the permanent bracelets up. And, I mean, it just—there's a video of me where I'm walking out the door the day we, after we put the video up of the permanent bracelets, and there's a line of people. And I'm like, oh, my God, you guys are all here for permanent bracelets? That continued on for a year. Like we had these lines and people just continuing to show up. And our TikTok really blew up after that. 
we just opened our second brick and mortar in Dallas, and that all came out of opening up a pop-up with the permanent bracelets there first, and then kind of seeing that explode really fast and being like, okay, we could open up a full-blown store here. A lot of people are doing permanent bracelets now, and I'm happy about it. People are just like, are you mad that so many people? No, no, I'm happy. If you are an independent jeweler and you're looking for a side hustle just the way that I was, that's why I did it. So, yeah, I'm happy that people are out there doing them as well. You know, I think one thing is it was disruptive, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, you've got a great mentality. I think a lot of people want the pie all to themselves. I think it's great that others do it. Oh, yeah. Nobody has your name on it. Right. Exactly. Like that's what people really want. And, you know, if you have a good idea, other people are going to do it. Right. And that's just a pat on the back to you. And it's also a challenge to you to continue to evolve and creating the permanent bracelets. It's like we already did that. We already did that well. And, you know, the market has confirmed that we've crushed it. And now we need we need competition and people to push us forward into the next thing or else we'll just be sitting there complacent on our little piles. You know, talk a little bit about just mentorship, women's businesses, because I think that's really important to you. you know. Yeah, I think in terms of like women as entrepreneurs, I always had that kind of in my mind that it was going to be important for me to be really visible about what I'm doing to other entrepreneurs, to definitely be someone that people know they can come to and ask questions. And I'm just going to tell them I will spill the beans about anything. You, I have no secrets. You know, there's no nothing proprietary that I'm trying to hide from from other makers for me to find people that I really believe in and then just kind of offer everything that I have to them. Like, here's all my documents that I have. Here's how I had interns at first. Here's how my pricing worksheet and just give it out for free. That to me is really is is something that really drives me and like warms me up. And two, with the people that work for me, being able to see them grow and be able to see them evolve, that's extremely rewarding. I think as I've become a business owner with employees, now we have almost 50 that are are working for me, being able to see them evolve as people and provide a space for them to really thrive and become these really badass women in business alongside me, I mean, there's so many people living their lives, working jobs that they hate, and they are miserable going there every day. So if I can create for 50 people the ability to come into a job that they love every day and they feel happy and and supported is probably the most rewarding thing. You know, as I think about founder businesses, there's a book called Founder's Mentality, and James Allen and Chris Zook wrote it, and there's kind of three pillars to it. And the first one is I'm the insurgent. I am running uphill and everybody that's doubting me, like I am going to the top of the mountain. Number two is you got to focus on the business. You know, you hate bureaucracy, you hate meetings, but, you know, as you grow, that does become a little more necessary. Cash flow, even as you're expanding, you know, I'm sure when you got the the bracelet, when it blew up, I mean, you've got to be ready for that, right? And then the last one, this is where I think I thrive. You know, I travel probably 180 nights a year, maybe 200. I like to be on the front line because you can get all the data in the world. But man, if you're not on the front line and you don't understand what's going on with the community, what's going on with sales, what your competition's doing, you know, what's happening in real time, 
it's useless. So I'd love to kind of hear where you are on the spectrum of those. Wow, wow. Insurgent, business owner, frontline, you know, and do you enjoy all three? Yeah. So I think, yeah, started as the insurgent, of course, you know, let's go, let's go. And whenever we started the permanent bracelets, I mean, I was not prepared for that. But I had this feeling, this intense feeling like this is it. Every business owner hopes to come up with something that has people lined up outside of their door. Being hit with that moment of like, you you cannot drop the ball. All of a sudden, I was getting these panic attacks out of nowhere. And I was just like, I have a therapist who's incredible. And I always would say, I, I'm never going to open up another store because I don't want to compromise being able to be on the front lines and being in there every single day and having these relationships. And, and she always kind of pushed me to expand my view and be like, listen, you make the rules. There's a way to do both. There's a way to expand into more locations and be in the front lines. You've just got to figure out what it is, right? And so I'm like, okay, I have the opportunity to grow. I have the opportunity to open more stores. And I can see a path to being able to build the company to create these jobs for other people as well that want to grow with me. And I just felt this pressure like I'd never felt before. Scaling a business is the hardest thing. Yeah. That's where most people fail, right? It's store number one to two. It's kind of restaurants. I always say you got to get to three to be credible. But, you know, I always say great businesses, you know, are directly correlated to having a great culture and having great people. And so obviously you found your way to that. Because yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can look back. I had a year where I was hiring and firing like over and over the entire year. And eventually I kind of got through this with my therapist. I was like, I think I'm just hiring people that I want to hang out with. Right. And I'm not thinking about their skills, <laughs> you know? Right. And then the second I was like, you need to think about whether or not these people are going to be good at the job, not just you love them because you love everyone, you know, like nobody's going to walk through the door that you're not like, I love you. I want to hire you. So being able to kind of get through some of those things in the earlier phases of, of having the business allowed me to make a lot of those mistakes five, six years ago, because I, of course, dropped the ball a little bit. And, you know, we had mess ups. We had issues where I messed up on thinking the timeline of when we could get chains. We were selling out. I didn't realize, like, I'm trying to hire people. I'm trying I mean, there were so many mess ups, okay? But we know, we know that's not the end of the story when you have these these mess ups, especially when you're seeing the business grow. Well, I think to grow, you've got to make mistakes. Just don't make them fatal. Yeah. You know? And so you, 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 the better you get, the more mistakes you make, the more you learn. If you don't learn from your mistakes, you can't scale a business. But I do think you just got to make sure they're, they're proportionately sized, or you're going to maybe have a bad outcome. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of the interesting part of scaling a business. You know, thoughts on brick and mortar online. You know, we've been with great retailers starting last summer, and they're like, we've got to flip quick from e-commerce to physical retail. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, e-commerce has always been a smaller part of our business. It's always been a focus on in-person. And I mean, year after year, probably for the past you know, four years, I'm always like, we got to grow e-commerce. This is going to be our focus, e-commerce. Let's grow it. Let's get a new website. Let's do all this. And to be honest, it only grows a little bit. Yeah. People want to come into the store and that's what's really growing. And so this year I was like, forget it. You know, we're going to work on e-commerce, but where we're going to really push our focus in, is into the stores. Because we now have multiple locations, that's where we're spending most of our costs anyway. So it makes more sense. But I'm I'm not that focused on growing e-commerce. I'm focused on growing the in-person experience. I do think that social media and stuff like that helps spread the word. 
You do one post and that brings five people in. So I appreciate it. I appreciate people spreading that word. But we don't really pay influencers. We don't do paid social media ads. We just count on word of mouth. And like I said, the people that work for me make the experience in the store so great that people just talk about it. And and we're just going to ride that wave as long as we can, you know? And if if people stop talking about it, maybe we'll we'll consider more online stuff. But for me, I'm just such an in-person people person. I, I would just rather do it that way. Let's create experiences in the store that are different from anything else anybody else is doing. And, and that'll bring the people. Well, I think that's what separates you from just commodity retail. Yeah. I mean, I think that's... That's what we're struggling with in America. We have been since the rise of e-commerce. Really, 2010, it started in 2000, but people were so caught on e-commerce. But really, what we suffer from is retail's become so homogenous. But now I think there's a shift back. And if you're making something proprietary and special and unique, and it has an experience to it, that's what people really want. And they'll pay for it. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's wild. Whenever we first started the the bracelets, it's like people were trying to pay to get up, bumped up in the line. I'm like, no, can't pay, you know. But it's true. It's true. If it's something different, your customers will come. Give me perspective, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio. You know, obviously being in Austin, you have a lot of tourism coming through mm-hmm. here. Well, Austin is where, where our roots are. I mean, we have such a community there. And half the people coming in are OGs. People come in constantly. They may not even buy anything. They just want to hang out with us. That's cool. And then some of them are just a lot of tourists coming through the area, shopping the center and like seeing all the retailers and wanting to have a fun shopping day. The great thing about Northside is that we have half bigger brands and then half local. So we do get a lot of tourists that come there and want to see some local spots. Dallas, I was really worried about opening Dallas. I was like, how are we going to make sure that Dallas feels the same way that Austin feels? Austin has sweat and blood in it, and you can feel it when you walk in the door. Dallas, I was like, well, we're not really sweating or bleeding anymore. We can hire somebody to build this store. <laughs> you know, we were on a different, we were on a different page. You weren't born in their neighborhoods, what I say. You yeah, know? like you know, <laughs> exactly. So it was, it was cool, and um, we got to really put all the bells and whistles in that store. And I was like, okay, how is this going to have the same feeling? But it all still comes back to the people. And the people that work in the Dallas store are being intentional with the hiring there and making sure that we're going to be able to give that same feeling that the people in Austin tell the story, let them know who we are, and make sure that when they leave that store, they feel like they've been seen and loved on. But with the customers in Dallas, we just see so many more large events. We built this cool bar for the bracelets, and it can seat like 10 people. It's like an actual bar. And so we have bachelorette parties and we have girls' nights and all of that. And it's just much more event-driven there. It's funny because when I made the Dallas store, the Austin store girls saw it and they were like, ooh, it's really nice over there, (laughs) you know? And so I was like, maybe it's time for a renovation in Austin. So this year we're going to renovate Austin and we're going to try to build something very similar to that bar so that we can accommodate some of those larger groups and create more group experiences. I definitely see a huge trend towards that, like larger group activities across the board. And the pop-ups are very small and the pop-ups, they usually exist inside inside of someone else's store, which is a really cool partnership between us and them. It's basically like, we're going to spread the word about your business and you're going to give us the space within your store, which is 
incredible and super precious to you, I know, because I have one. And then we're going to try and bring you all this traffic. It's always really fun to collaborate with those shops and kind of work together to build something because you don't really get to collaborate in retail like that that often. So Houston and San Antonio are where we currently have pop-ups. And I actually recently bought a tiny home, too. I went back to my roots. Everybody's like, you went back to that trailer. Let me tell you one thing, Lord. I I sold the trailer, the original trailer, and I want it back so bad. Like, because you know where I, it is? I don't know where it is. But I'm on the hunt. I'm, I mean, Let's I will say probably. Let's get after it. Let's find it. Find no, it. you should. I know. It has this energy in it, and I want it back. But in the meantime, I bought a tiny home that I'm renovating into a store, and I want to put that out in Fort Worth. And then it's going to be mobile, so I can take that somewhere else. And and that'll be cool because we'll be able to do a little bit more than just the bracelets. We can sell some jewelry in there and things like that. I just kind of let sometimes life lead me and try to see the things that appear in my path in front of me and, and then take those as signals sometimes is what I should do next. You know, Jenny Kane does that. They they usually go in for four days to a city, and they can tell real quickly yeah. whether. I think it's a great way to A, test the market. It gives you the real-time data, mm-hmm. and then you either put the investment in or you don't. But yeah. I think that's really, really smart. Let's get to the fun stuff. Okay. Nina. Okay. Yes. So, you know, you've walked us through this passionate, energetic life of yours, and now you're in Austin. You've successfully opened these stores. You have an incredible business. You have an incredible sense of responsibility, right? So you've grown to kind of this celebrity status, whether (laughs) you think that or not, but then you go home at the end of the day and you're just a normal person at home, right? How's your life changed? Well, I will say the biggest thing is that I'm more thoughtful about what I'm doing out when I'm in public. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, is it easy to go to a restaurant in Austin? Yeah, Yeah. it's easy. It's fine. I'm just mindful of the fact that to some people I'm a role model and that comes with responsibility on how I act. But I not a lot has changed, really. You know, same best friends, same people, same person. It's funny. People tell me that a lot, like that when they meet me and they see my social media presence, they're like, oh, you're exactly the same in real life. You know, you're just a regular, regular girl. And yeah, so not a lot. Having more resources is probably the biggest thing, like being able to do things within the community and for people that work with me and, you know, for people I love that I couldn't do before, which is fun. Well, I think when you get to where you are, your homies are your homies, you know, like your friends are really, really important. Oh, huge. And men, you you really, at your level, start to tighten that circle of trust. When you go home, man, you got, you want to let go, you know, a little bit if you can. I like see my home as my super sacred space. It's where I lay my head down at night. It's where I need to come to decompress and get back into my own thoughts. When you're in the store, you not only are you with all of your employees all day long, but you're also with the general public in there. They want a lot from you. And I'm so happy and grateful to be able to give that. But then when I come home, I need to be able to be in my own space. The other thing I do a lot more is I go on these long walks, like hour long walks, just aimlessly and just to let my mind kind of clear and get ideas and I walk way more than I ever did before and I think I just need more alone time actually now as I've kind of 
grown as a business person than I needed before. I'm such an extrovert, but now for the first time in my life, I'm like, oh no, I need to be alone in my house alone, 100% alone. (laughs) I'm the same way, you know, I'm on all the time. And you know, when I go home, I'm like you, I just want to be at home and chill. When I walk out, you know, I'm on all the time and it's hard to do, you know, so I get it. It's the sacred place. You know, when you go around, you travel, their ideas, places you look, retailers, you look at constantly or looking over your shoulder at the competition. I try actually not to look too much at the competition, especially with jewelry designers. I really try to not even look at the fashion world that much. I like to look a lot more at street style. So if I'm traveling, I'm much more likely to look at what people are wearing on the street than to go into a store and see what the store looks like. I will um, try and stay away from looking at the competition if I can, because I feel like as a designer, You sometimes will see something and it will just be in your head and then it comes out in your designs whether or not you mean to utilize someone else's creative thought or not. I'm also really inspired by art and, you know, folklore and mythology and things like that. So I'll definitely dig into that type of stuff. You know, there's a a saying, winners focus on winning, losers focus on winners. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you focus on your competition, it's a good way to get your ass kicked. It really is. People get so obsessed with who they're competing against or what they're doing, and they forget about their business plan. A lot of business owners are always kind of looking over their shoulders, but the ones that are running fast, they're just trying to innovate and create and be faster than everyone. Talking about, you know, trends, what are you seeing trend-wise? And then just what are you seeing kind of, what's kind of your next adventure? Yeah. For me, in my personal style, it's always really funny when people ask this question because I'm the most low-key person. When you're asking me how my lifestyle has changed, one thing is that people, sometimes when they come in the store, they don't even clock that it's me because I am in sweatpants and leggings and I'm in the back and they always think one of my more dolled up employees that's dressed head to toe and adorable labels is me. But I'm very much a, a comfort girly and I, you know, come to work to get the job done and not necessarily look cute. But since I work with my hands all day, I'm not really wearing rings. I might wear something really simple and I'm just moving through my day as comfortably as I possibly can. But when I get out and I decide to go out, I'm going all the way out and I'm wearing my best of the best stuff. I've got sequins, I've got feathers, I've got everything and I'm there to shine. So, you know, I I definitely go on both sides of the spectrum. And in terms of what I'm seeing, I really don't make anything in my jewelry collection that is small or dainty. Everything I make is is big. It's meant to be seen. And I'm making pieces for women that want to make a splash when they walk into the room. And immediately the first thing about their outfit, I want them to people to notice is the jewelry. So I'm I'm trying to outshine everything else that they're wearing when I'm creating jewelry. So I think for me in the trends that I'm seeing, it's just going to be bigger and bigger. More is more rings on every finger, big, huge statement rings I think are going to be huge. I want to do some cool things with gold teeth that I haven't really seen been done before. Currently working on setting fossils inside of gold teeth and, wow. and just doing things that I think are outside of the box and I haven't seen done. So I'm going to just keep trying to push the envelope a little bit and and make show pieces that make people feel like really spectacular when they walk out the door. So let's come back to, you know, Nina in Austin, you know, places, restaurants, the scene kind of kind of tell me a little bit about what you do while you're in Austin at home. 
Yeah, I mean, Austin's changed so much. It's it's wild. Even in just the time I've been there, seven years, it's it's really evolved. There's a French restaurant called Justine's, yep. like great, solid, anytime spot. I also really like Suerte, which is a really good New Mexican, and Commodore, which is another New Mexican. I don't know. I can never get enough Mexican food. Going out, my favorite place is called Seaboy's Heart and Soul. It's kind of like an old, not, I don't want to say a honky-tonk because it's definitely more like kind of has a jazz feel, but it's live music. It's always really good. And, you know, it always turns into a night to not remember. Every time I'm there, I'm like, I have to know when I'm headed there. All right, you're going to see boys. Okay, let's buckle in. And there's another spot here in town called Sahara Lounge, which I really love. And it's all world music. So it's always same thing. Very lowbrow and just extremely fun and just you never know the personalities that are going to be in this space and so yeah I like I like both but I'm always trying to see like what art things I can see everyone that works for me is an artist pretty much in some way shape or form so there's always one of them having an event that I can go to an art show or a pop-up or something like that so that's what I like to do a lot too is just show up and make sure I'm supporting them at whatever they're doing What's the one thing, you know, Austin's become, I think it's one of the top five cities in the world. Oh, yeah. I'd put Berlin, I would put Barcelona, you know, Miami has its own deal. But I, I, I think Austin is, you know, top two in the U.S., probably top five in the world. Everybody wants to be in Austin. And, you know, retailers, they used to always want to do Dallas or Houston first. And we saw that shift about four or five years ago where they've got to be in Austin. But, you know, what's the one thing in Austin people should see? Is it, you know, the library, the Capitol? Is it going out to the lake? Like, what do you th- I mean, there's Ooh, so many question. just dynamic, you know. You know, my favorite place to take people in Austin is this spot called Laguna Gloria. It's run by our contemporary museum here, but it's an outdoor, it's all sculptures. And you kind of get to walk, you see the lake, you get to walk these trails, and then you see these insane contemporary art sculptures that just pop out of nowhere. And it's a great way to be able to see fine art, which in Austin, we don't have a lot of it. So fine contemporary art, which is my heart and soul, and also get the nature aspect of Austin. So that would be... That's the spot I always take people to. But there's just so much to see here. There's so many neighborhoods, and they're all great. The trails are amazing. The lake is incredible. I think the biggest thing when I moved here from New York, I actually had a hard time designing for a second because in New York, I was just so inspired by these walks I would take all over Brooklyn. And I would just see, you know, street art and, like, really modern architecture and, you know, just the concrete jungle. Then I moved to Austin, and there's not a lot of walkable, like, street walkable areas. It's all trail, like forested trails and architecture that wasn't super inspiring to me at at the beginning. Now there's a lot more, but I just had a moment where I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get my inspiration here. And it's funny because you'll see in my artwork a shift between this very geometric, very structured pieces to this more organic style that is informed a lot by nature and, and curved pieces and less jagged edges. And it's just, you can tell there's just a break and it's like, oh, she went to a new place. So yeah, I love that mix between the industry that we have here and then also the ability to just be out in nature. It's great. Final question, hidden gem of Austin besides the trailer, which I did read was the hidden gem. So we got to get that back. Ooh, ooh, hidden gem of Austin. Mm, mm, mm. Let me think about this one. 
My favorite store is this place called Estilo. The buyer there, it's a she has women's and men's, but the buyer just she has such good taste. And it's one of those stores where there's a million options, which is what I like. Cause I don't I don't shop a lot. And and when I go in, I need to get the job done. Like I'm shopping for an entire season. So if I go into a store and there's only 10 things, I'm like, okay, I can buy these 10 things. But I, you know, she has like a thousand things in there and there's just racks and racks and you can just spend all day going through it and it's all great. So if you are wanting to come here and shop Estilo, it's it's cool. It's kind of off the beaten path. It's a little bit north and I love it. And then where do we find you? You know, social. TikTok and Instagram are the same at Nina Baronado. We also have a separate Instagram just for the bracelets. So if you're like, I don't care about your jewelry, Nina, I only want forever bracelets. You can go to Nina Baronado bracelet bar and then you can always shop on the website and it'll have all the information and all the social media channels, ninabaronado.com. I want to thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you. This has been Backstory and Beyond, hosted by Ward Camp. To learn more about Northwood Retail or the destinations from today's episode, visit BackstoryBeyond.com.